This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. I wish I had a million dollars. Hot dog. Eternally optimistic and a born leader, George Bailey entered the first scene in It's a Wonderful Life. In these first few minutes, George scoffed at the nonsense of a customer's manipulation, recognized and tried to solve a problem with the business he was in charge of conducting, and when that failed, he sought advice from his mentors. Finally, at his own peril, he risked his well-being by standing up to the authority, blocking his solution, and eventually, with persistence, leadership, and honor, saved a greater disaster from happening. Is that not the average day in a small business owner's life? By the way, character George was only 12 years old in that scene. Of course, we all know that George went on to run and be trapped by his family business. His challenges and failures led him to question his self-worth, only to discover that by being a compassionate, principled person of honor, he was indeed greatly appreciated and valued by his community, who in turn rescued him. Small business, it's hard, it's daunting. There are unimaginable challenges with cash flow, taxes, staff, government compliance, etc. You name it, small business people have to solve it every day. But when it works, hell, small business, it's a wonderful life. I'm Joel Volk and welcome to Small BizCast, where on a regular basis, I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and expose strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. Today's guest is Roland Crane of Vistage. Roland helps bring out the best of his clients by workshopping problems, setting accountability standards, and developing business opportunities. As my first podcast, I wanted to include Roland so we could speak in general about the pitfalls business people experience. As a small business person yourself, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully, you'll learn something while finding inspiration and ideas from the people I introduce you to, like Roland. Hopefully, you'll laugh a little too. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. So, uh, so accountability is key. So about an hour ago, an hour before you got here, I was talking to a small business guy I know. And I was telling him a little bit about the podcast. And I was telling him how we're going to take business issues and workshop them. I said, so for instance, I'd really like, hey, do, help me out. Do you have a business problem that you can help me out with? And he said, yeah, how do I grow my business when I'm working at capacity and I don't want to hire staff? And so we batted it around a little bit. And we came up with two or three action items that he could do. And then I looked at him. I said, you're not going to do any of these things, are you? And he goes, no. <laughs> well, there you go. And, right? and I can't right. tell you how many times <laughs> I've had that conversation as a guy in the chair where someone's telling me a better way to do things. I may be conveying a problem. And sometimes I just wanted to vent and someone say, it's okay. It'll be all right. And other times there were serious problems that needed to be solved. But sometimes solving them were really hard. And so I think part of the, the beauty of a Vistage chair model is that you have the other people in the room saying, okay, last time you were here, we came up with these three action items to solve the problem that you spent our collective time trying to solve. I don't see you do anything. Why are you wasting my time? Is that a fair statement that peer pressure helps solve these problems? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that accountability from your peers is really an issue, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and if, I mean, look, if if a member of a Vistage group consistently fails to follow through with what they say they're going to do i don't think they're going to last very long in the group i mean we're you know we want to be successful all of us and we want to see all of our you know other members in the group be successful and if somebody's choosing not to do what they say they're going to do that's rough that's rough on everybody so somebody if somebody's brand new in business and i have to tell you that i've met people that have you know they're well capitalized have a good idea 
they're smart, their product is probably marketable, but because they don't have many years experience, I hear them talk about business and I do a virtual eye roll because I don't think they really know what they're talking about. What if that type of person wants to join your group? How do you? Right. So I think I speak, well, for my group, I, I want diversity by all measures except for one thing. I want everybody to be, to have a growth mindset. Right. So I'm, I'm looking for, you know, members that really want to grow their businesses. But yeah, relatively new companies that are well capitalized or younger people that are running companies versus, I mean, the age range for me right now is running from about 30 to 79 in my group. So you have 79-year-olds that want to grow their businesses? Yeah. And are they significant businesses already? Yeah. <laughs> so are they in denial that they're going to live No, forever? they're growing them. No, no, but do they think they're going to live forever? Well, with, with respect to that particular person, one of the things that he, like many people who run companies, own companies, one of the things he has not addressed is succession. And so one of the reasons really? he was interested in my group was, how do I solve the succession problem? So, yeah. And he also is a micromanager, which is why he has a succession problem. Exactly. Why <laughs> Those are not unrelated. Of course. Yeah. And does, he, and does he recognize that as a weakness? Oh, yeah. And is it a significant business? Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, he got it there. It's his baby. It's 10 to 20 million in revenue. Right. Yeah. That's profitable. Yep. Right. Yeah. So he's, he's making big money and there's no pain except for he doesn't know what's going to happen when he dies. Yeah. And he's not going to be around anyway, so... And he really cares about his employees, like really deeply cares about right. his employees. And he wants to make sure they're well taken care of. That's actually, that's probably his biggest motivator. I recently met a Joe P. Dot. Do you know who that is? You know his products. You know his products. He is the clapper. He is oh. Chia Pet. <laughs> He's a real character. He's about 90. Okay. Um, he um, says that Cha 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 Chia is the most, was the most recognized um, jingo, jingle mm-hmm. in the world. Really? In the world. Really? He has no family. He's got some nephews. Wow. And he has no um, no succession plan. But he did recently sell his business. Undisclosed amount. It was a completely private business. Mm-hmm. Um, undisclosed amount. Um, I met him through, the, through a charity group I'm in that he made a grant, matching grant for us. So if we raised... He was going to give us, to build a building, he was going to give us a, a half a million dollars if we raised a million and a half dollars. And we did. Nice. However, he made, <clears throat> he made the management's lives miserable because he had so many. He, first of all, he micromanaged everything. He wanted to see the blueprints. He, when we have the grand opening, he wants to make sure there's brisket on the menu. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He loves his brisket. But I, and, I, and, if you, and I was talking to him. I was talking to him and I said, what, you know, what? drove you because to me my family drives me what what drives you what was what was the driving force that let you build this god knows how big company it's all private so there's no Mm -hmm. disclosed figures anything like that and for him it was just he wanted to win the game it was really about Mm -hmm. winning the game do you and so when you talk about your 79 year old guy Mm -hmm. i think is he still how do you he already won the game he just loves it he, he just, just loves it. He just loves tinkering. What am I going to do? It's a manufacturing that? company. He likes tinkering around in the plant. Right. He likes. He holds patents. He's he's an inventive guy. Right. And, and your background, you have manufacturing in your background. You I do. Wood manufacturing? Uh, one of them, yeah. That's the company I was a CFO for. It was about a $100 million company. Okay. It was a larger one. But uh, process chemical and consumer product packaging. And then I was in the plant business, which wasn't so much manufacturing as it was. That's uh, a floral? That was a yeah. floral business? Mm-hmm. And that was a turnaround, correct? It was. So, yeah. how, so how did you, 
what were the what were the at what stage were you brought into it and at what stage did you exit it? The flower business. Um, the uh, the banker was a friend of mine, and he said this guy really needs some help. He's got you know a decent business, but he's over leveraged and he can't do everything. And so I came in with two other people, brought in some equity. Mm-hmm. I came in as a manager, uh, and. Uh, you said you brought in equity, so you became you bought the business. Yeah, we we well we we bought into the business, so we put some equity into the business and took right. ownership. Yeah, gotcha. And the original yeah. management was put out. No, he stayed. Uh-huh. He he wasn't a bad guy. He was over his head. Right. Yeah. So was it a case of growing faster than your you know, Peter Principal, basically? But you're yeah, he just couldn't do everything. Right. The, the The business part of the business. I mean, in the the details on this business are that. We leased hundreds of thousands of acres from companies like Warehouser, and we went in and extracted these floral greens. And he was really good at that part of it, but he wasn't really good at managing the client side, managing production, things like that. I mean, he was really good at managing the forest. He was a forestry person. So he wasn't good at bringing people in that could do the job he was weak at. Yeah. Like we did Christmas greens. I mean, we just ramped up the Christmas stuff enormously. It had to be huge margins. The margins were nice, yeah. Only like software margins. They were really good. <laughs> they were. They were fantastic. <laughs> so why did you exit the business? Sounds like a great business. Uh, oh, that's a good story. So he embezzled about $450,000. But he's not a bad guy. <laughs> wait, wait. Let's back up. He wasn't a bad guy <laughs> at the front end, wait. but he sure was at the back end. <laughs> now, before we go any further, let's set some set where the bar is here. How, on, the, on the not a bad guy department, where do you see me? Because <laughs> I want to just make sure... That I, I know which company I'm in here. No, this guy, he was ultimately a bad guy. Right. And he um, uh, he made a choice. It, right. It was a bad choice because we were making a lot of money. So basically, I ran the company for about a year after that and sold it. Right. And it was a successful sale. It was still worth, it was still worth money. But yeah, anyway, did, that's a whole other story. Did he get prosecuted? No. Mm-mm. Because? Because I couldn't get anybody to testify, and so what he did was he it wasn't traceable by evidence. Yeah, it wasn't traceable by evidence. It was all cash. So what it was was what, the way he embezzled the money. You really curious about this? Well, I think it's <laughs> listen. I, I can tell you early in my career when uh, twenty five thousand dollars was an awful lot of money to mm-hmm. me. I mm-hmm. was embezzled about twenty five thousand dollars, and it almost put me out of business. It, Risk my marriage, frankly. Right. I, I got off the plane from my honeymoon uh, in my wife's hometown where my father-in-law, a very, you know, accomplished CPA who, you know, did things. There were two ways to do things, his way or the wrong way. And he's the one that told me that uh, the keeper came in and <laughs> closed up my business while I was in Greece. So one of the most humiliating mm-hmm. moments of my life and wow. one of the most, you know, financially challenging moments of my life came as a result of trusting somebody that I shouldn't have trusted, also didn't prosecute them. Right. Um, and I, to this day, I go, why didn't I prosecute her? Why didn't I? Yeah. And I'm not sure I have a valid answer for it, except for I was looking to the future, not the past. I blame myself for being careless. Yeah. And so I'm curious if that's a, if that's a what I did is common to people in business, if that's what your company experienced. If that's I, I, was, I was pretty angry. I was about as angry as, I, as, as I've ever been in my life about this and for a sustained period of time. And that alone does slow you down, and it does. I mean, at some point you have to move on. But what happened was I went to the police, and they said it was a small town, kind of rural, and they said different state. 
And they said, yeah, bring us a complete case. We're not going to do anything to build a case on this that wow. we can take to the prosecutor because this isn't the kind of stuff that we go after. This is a civil case. Go sue them mm-hmm. in court. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Or, or or if you want to prosecute them for something criminal, you still have to bring us the case. Right. And we don't have the manpower. We don't have yeah. the time. And you're trying to save your business who lost a half a million dollars. Yeah. Right. And so uh, I did try to build a case. But what – so, I mean, very small import, but important point – so it was during the Christmas season, and we were we were you bring out all these boughs, look like right that you make the like the wreaths and the garlands out of and all that sort of stuff, and it all gets weighed. But you know the season is really short, obviously. So he was the one in charge of bringing in all the boughs, and what he was doing was just extracting a lot more boughs than we needed and selling them for cash to other people in our industry around us. And none of those people would admit that they were right. That they were buying that they because they were complicit in the in they, the fraud. They, they knew, knew they, they, they knew, knew he was doing fraud. I mean, it was like you know we all helped each other out from time to time and sold each other stuff. But they knew that he was, you know, you know, because he only wanted cash. Right. You know. Yeah. He was willing to take a low price for cash. <laughs> you know, and all that sort of thing. So anyway, you don't really do all the accounting and bookkeeping until the season's over for all that stuff, right? right. And so there I am. Talk about gross margins because I knew what the margins should be for that business. I mean, really had it dialed in. I'm a numbers person. I come from a finance background. And it's like, this is way, way, way off. And I couldn't figure out where all those spouses had gone. <laughs> and then it started to occur to me what had happened. And he had gone on a vacation to Hawaii. A really good vacation. <laughs> he didn't come back. <laughs> he didn't come back. That's funny. And when he didn't come back, when he said he was coming back, it's like, Okay, now I understand. So what I, happened. I, and he wouldn't talk to me. I ran into know, the whole bit. I ran into the one person that did that to me. Mm-hmm. I ran into her a couple years later. Hmm. I was with my family. My son was very young, mm-hmm. and she was with her. She was older. She was with her grandchildren. And I thought, what am I going to do? Make a scene, mm-hmm. humiliate myself. I. What am I going to say? You know. I just ignored her. We made eye contact. It kind of brought back all those emotions. Right. But I thought no I thought no good can come from me having this confrontation at this point. So right. I just took a Zen approach home and, <laughs> and let it go. And just let it go. Because but it was it was really it was really hard. I remember like my wife looking at me going, What's wrong? Right. And my eyebrows were up to the stratosphere. She could tell. She knew something was she going knew on. Was up, yeah. Right. yeah, and that yeah. was, as I said, that was a very humiliating experience for me at that time. Yeah, so, me too. Right, I get it. So, do you think that's a common problem among small business people that they allow themselves to they put themselves in the position either by not having good processes, accountability, people yeah. in place, you know, to to let that sort of abuse take place, or do they trust people that? Is, is part of the problem is not having, you know, Reagan said trust but verify. So not having the validation processes to, to verify even mm-hmm. though you trust people. Because you have to trust people. Right. You can't grow your business. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, like that season for us represented, we we grew our Christmas business, you know, something like it was our third Christmas with the company. The first year was right after we bought it. And the second year we gained a lot more volume. But this year we were just killing it. It was like three times a year before and yeah, I mean, I you know, I totally trusted him, I and mean, we'd been working together for years at that point. And you know, I didn't have any feedback, you know, that he wasn't a good guy. Before we bought into the company, we went around to all the other sort of competitor companies and mm-hmm. just sort of interviewed people. Right. Me and one of the other guys who was putting money in, and uh, 
nobody warned us about him. It turns out this wasn't the first time he'd done it, and it wasn't oh, the wow. last either. So that was the normal way he did things. Yeah, this is what he did. And it's like, especially one guy who I had a good relationship with, he's like, why didn't you warn me? Right. And he's like, well, you know, it's not really my job. <laughs> right, like, right. You're my competitor. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Why, why, why would I warn you? Right. He was really, you know, I mean, that was, and I can't say that I blame him, you know, but at the same time, why, you know, I mean, he got something out of it. I mean, he got cheap bows one season for him but he had a really profitable business he didn't need that right yeah but anyway that's just that's just the rough and tumble it's a by the way for what it's worth the flower business brutal all around any business that has things that die quickly or go rot or whatever it is people pretty much disregard the law i'm pretty law-abiding guy yeah i come from a banking background and you know i believe in the law i believe in you know playing by the rules within bounds sure and, you know, but the flower business is rough. So my first business was... That wasn't my only problem in the flower business, by the way. I mean, it wasn't the only thing yeah. that happened. Yeah. yeah, weather might destroy you, too. All right? the, uh, nah, not really. No? No, not for what we were doing. We are doing floral greens. Right. And they're pretty hardy. Gotcha. So the weather doesn't really have an effect, but... My first business was in the tropical fish business. Oh, and wow. so uh, so I had an aquarium service company, and then I ended up buying an aquarium store that had been around a while. And... Hmm. Uh, so, you know, the aquarium store, you don't, you know, as we know, tropical fish have to be in heated water. So in store situations, you don't keep the water heated, you keep the, ho- the room heated. So you have heaters on at night. So, oh, okay. so you keep the whole place at a certain temperature and that keeps the water. So if the 16-year-old kid that you hired to close up, you know, that night forgets to put the thermostat to the right temperature, um, you've got a big problem because it's really, really hard to sell dead fish. It's really, you know, there's, you might find somebody that can make a keychain out of one of them or something, but for the most part, it's trash and there's no insurance for it, you know, and so on. So I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. It's a tough livestock and living things. It's it's tough. Yeah. Those are rough businesses. Every, every lawsuit that I've been involved in in business was in the flower business. Really? Yep. No. Every single one. Right. Right. Everything else. What other businesses have you been in? Uh, consumer uh, cleaning products, packaging business, bleach, fabric softener. Was that like a repackaging? No. no you, so you had your own formulas? Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And we made our own bottles. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing blow molding, uh, making bottles. And um, How long ago was that? That was after banking. I got hired by one of my clients to run that business. Gotcha. So we bought the plants from Dial Corp. It was the old Purex plants. Mm-hmm. And we turned them into a standalone business. That was my job. Just was that also a turnaround? I wouldn't characterize it as a turnaround. It was a growth deal. What we did was we basically bought the real estate from Dial for the the biz, the, the plants from Dial for the price of the real estate. So we got these operating plants. formulas too. Oh yeah, the well, formulas are no are deal. well known. Yes. Really? Yes. There's no secrets in formulas? Not in bleach fabric software. So that's got to be a huge margin business again. Actually, not. Well, we we had okay margins. It was higher than you think, but not like not like the flower business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That one's got really good margins. So when you so the, this history that you have, I noticed I noticed your your education is really economics and and. Uh, is really economics, right? There's, you don't have a business background in school. Econ math, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they don't have a business degree at UCLA. Oh, really? Yeah. They don't now or they didn't then? I don't think they still do. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So so I, I assume your education didn't help a whole lot with your business background. 
yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I love math. Right. So you're a numbers guy. And... That's all. I just love math. Right. Yeah. Right. It was just, you know, I just majored in what I liked. And I ended up picking up the econ major when I kind of realized I wasn't going to be a great mathematician. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to get over that right. disappointment. And uh, that was okay. I mean, it did all right in the subject. But, you know, there's, you know, like anything else, there's people really good at it. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, econ was just really easy if you have a math background, as it turns out. It's just super easy. So it was easy to pick up a pick up that major. So working within different industries, working with different business professionals, do you see any common threads that create success or failure among business people? Is there a litmus test? Wow. That's a hard question. I mean, I think the thing that really sets people apart is just, you know, not being willing to give up. Tenacity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, tenacity is really important. Yeah, I, you know, if t- taking my favorite subject, uh, you know, me, um, I would tell you that <laughs> I would tell you that uh, I look back and I should have quit ten times. Mm, right, right. I should have quit ten times. You weren't smart enough to quit. Yeah, I don't know if it was smart. <laughs> I don't know if it was bravery. I don't know if it was just. You know, out of habit, you keep on doing it, yeah. you know, along the line. I think I had some luck in that, in that, uh, you know, my wife made a living. So the times that I wasn't making a living, my wife was making a living and yeah, that's able to survive. So yeah. you know, I didn't have that tremendous pressure to, you know, that I was going to lose my house if I didn't make it. But, you know, it wasn't, it was challenging. Yeah. And I, and had I stopped doing what I was doing and got a job, you know, selling airplanes to billionaires and I might have you know, been in a different place, you know, quicker. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows, right? The road not so, taken, yeah. Yeah, so you can't, obviously we don't exactly well said, you don't know what the road not taken would lead you. But um, but I know that tenacity was definitely something that I, you know, somehow have. Right, yeah. And maybe it's not wisdom. Maybe tenacity and wisdom don't go together. <laughs> what do you <laughs> Maybe tenacity and wisdom are mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's a great line in a Springsteen song, but it's basically like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm too stupid to, to, you know, not, uh, uh, not quit, you know, kind of a thing. And it's, yeah, it's, but it's, you just, you know, I mean, if you're, if you, if you, I mean, the thing that makes, you know, I think being able to see that something can work, and for people who are successful entrepreneurs, at some point. They're the ones that have that vision of how things are going to work, how this is going to be a successful business, or they just love doing it, right? Right. And and they just keep doing it. And we all have setbacks. We just talk about setbacks. And, you know, when I had that setback, my, I was sitting in my lawyer's office, poor me, you know, I was just complaining and talking about, and he wasn't a criminal lawyer, he was a business lawyer. Right. But, you know, somehow frustrated I was, I couldn't get this guy prosecuted. And he's like, look, man, you just, you're just... Everybody has an experience like this. Like you're just going to look back on it someday and be grateful for what you learned about, you know, from it. Mm-hmm. And it's like that, you know. I I've always liked old lawyers, you know, old lawyers on doctors, right? So, um, yeah, he's a guy with a lot of experience, and and he was right. He's dead right. And right. I just had to stop crying, and you know. And so I went back and I made the business work, and then I sold it because I was just sick. Right. Of it, right. I didn't want to. And did you just immediately dive into something else, or did you? Uh, find yourself just want to kind of 
chill for a while. Well, that was one of those points where, I mean, I had I had always planned to sell the business. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, leaving banking, the first business was that bleach business, and the de- the plan was definitely to sell the business, and we stuck to that, and it was successful. And I knew I wanted to flip this, but I didn't think it was going to flip so fast. Right. And, um, you know, we basically got out with our equity. I mean, we didn't. Oh, really? Yeah. After all that. It hurt. Yeah, we yeah. made a little bit of money, but I mean, you it know. It wasn't worth your sweat equity then. Uh, yeah, we did okay. I mean, it yeah. wasn't great. It wasn't super successful. Right. It was okay. Have you ever been in retail? Mm, no, well, in high school, I worked at Kmart. <laughs> <laughs> Kmart sucks. Uh, <laughs> but you worked in you worked in Kmart. Have you ever owned a retail business? Sounds like well, that. actually, so it's not on my resume. But the first business I owned with my first wife was a, a small retail shop. What kind of products? It was uh, it was paper goods. So it was like, well, we got into it. She this is something she wanted to do. So it was like, and I was involved. I was actually in college while we were doing this. And um, so cards and, you know, invitations. It was in San Marino, so it was, uh-huh. a, it was in a high-income area. But what ended up making all the money and the stickers and stuff like that, and at the time, and this is in the 1980s, the um, the thing that really took off was these Lucite products where they could oh, be right. personalized with right. paint pens. And right. so... It actually turned into kind of a party planning business. Uh-huh. So we made most of our money on Lucite and balloons and stuff like that yeah, for yeah. parties. And I was going to guess balloons. I was going to interrupt you and guess balloons, but I'm really, really trying hard to stop the interrupting thing. It's <laughs> not easy for me, so I'm sorry about that. No, 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 that's okay. Yeah, it ended, that's what it ended up being. And we ended up selling that to uh-huh. uh, another person, and she kept running it until, I guess, yeah. whatever. She got right. tired of it or whatever. Right. But we had it for about four years. So when I'm driving down the street and I see a party planning business that sells balloons and i think uh, here i am in san marino the rent's got to be you know i don't know what it's going to be it's got to be thousands of dollars a month i think how many balloons do they have to sell to break even just mm-hmm. to break even i think about that and i think how challenging retail is are there any retailers in your vistage group no not yet uh, there's a couple that I'm talking to. But, so if you yeah. are, are they, do you think that a couple re- of restaurant businesses that I'm okay. talking to? Yeah, because I I've met a lot of retailers, not always the most sophisticated when it comes to finance, not always the most sophisticated when it comes to management. How are they going to work within a professional services organization? Are they as as a peer? Are they going to be able to contribute? Oh uh, yeah, look, most of the you know I mean. <clears throat> A lot of the, like, I look back on when I started running a business, and, you know, when I look at the mistakes I've made, I made those mistakes because there was something wrong with me. Right. Right? Like, I had the wrong mindset. I thought things were a certain way, and they were a different way. Or I was hesitant to address an issue that Mm -hmm. then blew up on me or something, right? Like, whatever. But it was, I could trace so many of those mistakes back to just not... I mean, an analytically bad decision or whatever, but stuff that was inside of me. And so, I mean, a lot of the work that happens in in a in a peer group, a peer advisory group, mm-hmm. uh, is really about what's going on with a person. Like when we're when we're processing an issue, somebody brings an issue to the table. The first thing we do is we ask a lot of clarifying questions to make sure we really understand what the issue is or what the under underlying issue is, which might be something personal. And a lot of times it is. So a lot of times it's really psychology. 
people's own blocks yeah. getting in the way. I guess so. Yeah. So, do you? Um, so how do you? So how do you get to the bottom of that? You're not a psychologist. You're a management professional. Well, my job, um, I'm not the answer. I'm not the person answering questions. I'm the person questioning answers. Interesting. So, as the group leader, so I'm not. You know, you're not going to be successful as a group leader being a know-it-all kind of person. I mean, you right. have to kind of understand what's going on, obviously. Right. And most of the people that lead Vistage groups, almost all of them have owned their own businesses or run businesses. But, um, yeah, the most important thing is just to ask a lot of questions until right. you get to what really is going on. You and s- you can tell. We all know when somebody's yeah. BSing us or when they're not looking at the real issue. I mean, right. you don't have to be a psychologist. I mean, life experience goes a long way right, right. to helping with that kind of thing. Right. How do uh, people get a hold of you? Uh, you you want my contact information? Well, I assume someone listening might be inspired to give you a call and maybe think about joining your group or learn more about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, email, LinkedIn. Uh, my LinkedIn is uh, linkedin.com slash, what is it, r uh, slash crane. Um, so... Uh, Roland.Crane at VistageChair.com is my email address. So Roland.Crane, C-R-A-N-E. R-O-L-A-N-D dot C-R-A-N-E at Vistage, V-I-S-T-A-G-E, Chair, C-H-A-I-R dot com. And what do you want prospective members to know about you? Oh, that's a great question, Joel. You know, I'll, I'll always... Keep everything confidential. Confidentiality for me is the is the cornerstone. It's I, not it's, very fun though, to be honest. It's with not you. fun, but it's yeah. really important. You right. know, I don't tell my wife anything. I don't give anybody details about right. my members. Have her call me. I'll tell. <laughs> and uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, that this is, yeah, the reason I'm doing this work. Okay, I do have a why. Why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. When I started out. When I was a kid, when I was 14 or 15, the reason I liked math, I was good at it. And I am answering your question. I liked math, I was good at it. But I had a moment of realization, uh, a real epiphany, where I realized that everything around me was possible because a handful of individuals in the history of the world had had these, you know, had developed these ideas, these mathematical ideas. None of this is possible without math. And that, to me, was just a massive realization that an idea literally created our world. A series of ideas by a handful of individuals literally has created our world around us. And I wanted to be one of those people. I wanted to, that was my, as a leader, I'm really service oriented. I want to make, you know, I've always wanted to help make the people that work for me on the team better. Okay. That was always my strategy. How do I help make everybody better? I think that's our job. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Personally, I think it's... Not every leader it's, works that way. But. You, yeah, if you're not facilitating your staff, you're not, you're not doing a good job. You yeah. need to give them, empower them to solve problems, to, to recognize the problem when they see it, number one, and number two, solve the problem. Right, right. Give them the tools, give right. them the training. Right. And then... And, and I don't think you can grow your business without doing that, personally. I agree. Yeah. yeah it's really hard. Right. You, you're going to top out. Right. And then when I got into college and when I realized math wasn't my path, the reason I focused on econ and the reason I went into banking, because banking is like that too, mm-hmm. with capital from the bank and the application of ideas and thinking, you can make the world a better place right. by the use of debt. You really can. Mm-hmm. 
I know it's easy to vilify bankers. I'm the first one to do it. But at the same time, what what happens with that application of capital in our in our society is really important. It does right. create growth. So when I realized the work I could do as a visage chair, I realized I could have an impact on my community mm-hmm. and in a really positive way by making leaders better. They make better decisions and we get better results in our community. And that's the reason I'm doing this work. And okay. I, I guess give, us that, give us that email address one more time. Sure. Roland, R-O-L-A-N-D dot crane, C-R-A-N-E, at Vistage, V-I-S-T-A-G-E, chair, C-H-A-I-R, dot com. So not only is it an email address, it's a spelling bee. <laughs> Very good. So um, I want to, do you have a minute? I want to, I, I alluded early on that we're going to workshop a problem. I'm going to throw out an, a, a question that uh, a business person that I know asked me to, uh, to, to workshop on our podcast. Sure. Do you have a minute for that? Before I do, though, I want to acknowledge a couple things. Okay. First of all, I want to thank um, my producer, who uh, I, I, I know him very well. His name is Charlie Volk. He's, uh, he has his own podcast called Mr. Thrive, Star of Tomorrow. You can find him where he found me on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. And his uh, podcast is about uh, trying to make it in Hollywood. He interviews uh, young people primarily who have amazing paths, and, they've, uh, and, and they, their, their journey of trying to make it on, in Hollywood. Some of them are writers, some of them are actors, some of them are singers and you know, song, musical professionals. Others are just talented people of amazing talent, and you know, it's, a, it's a tough, tough business. And he interviews them, and he's on his own journey. Similarly, he's a writer, producer, director himself. And so he, that was his inspiration, and that's kind of what he's trying to do is he's trying to create this network of people that are trying to make it and support each other, and he started this podcast, Mr. Thrive's Stars of Tomorrow. Good for him. And so that's one thing I want to thank. And I also want to thank our sponsor, Mercury Document Imaging. Uh, 37 years young, Mercury is a document technology company uh, featuring Xerox products, uh, copiers, printers, that sort of thing, um, and software for paperless offices, workflow, collaboration, and so on. Um, some of you who know me know that I've been the president of Mercury for a long time, so I got a guy. That's why we're the uh, that's why we're the <laughs> we're the produce we're the uh, sponsors. Uh, Mercury can be seen our website www.mercurydoc.com, um, and uh, it was founded. Mercury was founded with a premise. This was the principle. Ready? It came up with a brilliant person. Um, it, it was good service doesn't cost; it pays. Now, this was founded in 1982. Actually, the date of inception was 8282, which is how I remember it. I came to the company three years later, ran it. But, but had we not had that focal point, good service doesn't cost, it pays, we would not be the company we were. That was always the cornerstone of who we were. We always had to know whether were, were we delivering the very best service at the very best every single time. So, if, so talk about empowering staff, Roland. What I always did was if a customer had a question, I mean, sorry, if an employee had a question positing, what should we do? This customer has this problem. How do we solve it? I would always throw it back to them saying, what is the best solution for the customer? Mm -hmm. Chances are, if your employee understands what you're doing and why you're doing it, they'll know the answer to that question. And chances are, if they know the answer to that question, that's going to be the best solution. It's kind of my take on Occam's razor. Right. You know, that right. the, the simplest solution is the best solution. And I can't tell you how many times, and I, as I'm saying these words, I'm thinking of people who used to work for me, Kathy Russell, Valerie Tapia, other people that worked for me, that they would come up with better answers than I would. 
what were the better solutions were. So by throwing back the ball in their court, they were more familiar with the situation. I was hearing it for the first time, had 10 seconds to ponder it, where they were trying to solve it before they got to me. And when, the, when they knocked on my door and said, hey, XYZ company's having this problem, what do you want? What do you think the best solution is? What do you, from their perspective, they would always have better solutions. And I would almost always go, great, you got it, do it. Very rarely would I not. And until I learned that trick, my business didn't grow. Until I, mm. I was stuck at a certain level that I could not penetrate. Right. Until I started throwing the ball back to people that had problems. And then all of a sudden, guess what? They stopped knocking on my door. They were just solving problems. They were empowered themselves. Right. Mistakes happen, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you coach your way through it. Other times you throw a fit and you got to realize that you're just human and they're just human and let it go. <laughs> but for the most part, that solved a lot of problems in a very constructive and efficient way. And, um, and I'm proud of my company for doing that. So that's our company, Mercury Document Imaging. Small BizCast was set up by me because I love the topic of small business. What, use, what's the first thing you sold? A typewriter. <laughs> the first commission. Really? So my father was a typewriter. He was, he was in the typewriter business. Okay. And he was struggling. It was in the 70s. I was with, right. you, remember the store May Company? Sure, yeah. So um, my dad took me to May Company because my mom needed to buy my sister a Girl Scout uniform. Okay. So we're in North North Hollywood, May Company on Laurel Canyon. I know that one. And my dad, bored with the whole Girl Scout uniform thing, start, took me over to the typewriter department to see what they were selling. And some other guy was over there looking at typewriters and asking questions. And I was looking at my dad going, why aren't you saying something? I was like six. I was seven. I know I was seven. I was like seven years old. And I'm thinking, Dad, why don't you tell him that you sell typewriters? You know? Mm -hmm. And he wasn't doing it. And so I finally said out loud, Dad, don't you do that? And the guy, you know, I got the guy's ear. And my dad started talking to the guy. And my dad, I remember seeing my dad hand him a business card. And then, like, three or four days later, my dad called me into, you know, the living room. And he gave me a dollar. And he goes, this is a commission. Fantastic. You're in this commission because I sold him a typewriter. <laughs> and that was my very first networking experience. I realized later on yeah, that yeah, was yeah. My, very, my very first networking experience. That's great. So that, that is my story. But I've always, I've always loved the concept of small business. And so mm. Small BizCast was set up to kind of discuss this, get that passion out there. I love talking about it. I can yeah. talk to people about this all day long. And I think it's lonely at the top. I think it's very lonely at the top. And so unless you're sitting at a Vistage yeah. roundtable or some similar model – or unless you're you're you have a you have a, a posse of friends that get together and just talk about this on an informal basis, it's very lonely. Right. And my and my best relationships have come from other business people in the same situations where we sit and talk and we go to lunch maybe once a week. Right. And I always used to say that the the purpose of getting together lunch once a week was to leave saying, Boy, I'm glad I'm not that guy. Because you'd hear their <laughs> problems with their employees and their cash flow problems and their banking problems and all this stuff. And you'd figure right. out that, you know what? It's a wonderful life. It's not so bad after all. Right. So right. Uh, go to smallbizcast.com. That's where you'll learn about how to be on the show. That's where you could put in mm -hmm. your problems that you want to talk about. That's where you can contact me if you want to some consulting, some one on one consulting, nice. transition consulting, uh, people that are thinking about selling their business, people who want uh, to worry about client retention, I want to help. I can help with that. I can help with that. It's something that I'm, I'm good at. I can speak the language. It's not a huge engagement. And so I want to just encourage people to reach out to me. Let me help those problems. And then you can also sign up if you want to be a guest. So we're going to drop this podcast about once a month. 
And an element of it is going to be, don't talk with your hands, Joel. That's what happens when I talk with my hands. Right, right. The element of it is going to be workshopping problems. So here I was talking to one of my friends in business, and he gave me this problem. He said, I'm a small, I'm a one-man band. I don't want to work more than eight hours a day. But I'm not making enough money. <laughs> so in my model of, well, how do you think you should solve the problem? I kind of hit the ball back to him. And I said, well, how do you think you can solve the problem? Right, right. And so what do you, what's your, what's your gut, gut reaction to that? Well, um, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of like he's creating boundaries around the problem that are almost insolvable, right? So, like, he doesn't, you know, either he has to work, he has to work more efficiently. The only, the only possible answer is to figure out a way to work more efficiently. Right. And not knowing the details of the business. I mean, he's got to somehow apply technology. I mean, I know people who run, let's say, for example, um, this is a good example. They, they, ha- they do uh, credit card processing. And they basically resell at the bank, so they act as a reseller. They make really good money doing mm-hmm. this. No employees, no right. problems. They can do that on their own. And make, you know, there's some businesses where the margins are there and the recurring income builds up, right? Because they make money on every transaction forever, as long as they're with that with that processor. You know, like there are things like that where you can make it work. But I don't know. You know, I don't know if he has to fill the bucket every time or if he has recurring income. Right. It's a recurring model. Recurring income model. Okay. Uh, okay. Is what it is. Okay. Well, I mean, to figure out a way to, you know, w- to, to leverage somebody else's time, mm-hmm. you know, through, I don't know, hiring virtual employee, virtual employees, you know, well, that, something that, like that. That was one of the things we talked about. We were talking about outsourcing. We recently, yeah. we recently met a CPA who uh, has all his back office stuff done in India. Guy happens to be of Indian descent. And so okay. he's able to, you know, for some reason, he, he knew how, who to connect to with to do this. And he's apparently building a pretty good practice. Doing that, so he actually brought up that when, we, when I hit the ball back to him, he said something on that level. I I go right to technology because that's my background. Right, me too. You have to, yeah. and and but but the other thing I have to say is I've met many many people that waste their time with clients that are not profitable clients. So Good sometimes point. you have to look at your client base and say, listen, this, if this client's you know wasting my time, I have to a raise my price or b excuse him and help him find someplace else so right. I can create capacity because he's out of capacity. Right. He's out of capacity. Now, he's also the same guy that's not going to do anything about it, so it doesn't make a huge difference. But for anybody listening who's maybe in the same, you know, in the same box, same situation, eight, the, the eight hours a day is really a limit. You know, he is at that time of, time of his life where he wants to only work eight hours a day. But I can tell you when I was in my 20s in business, you know, I would have laughed at that, uh, yeah, right? Uh, I, yeah. You know, I went home yeah. to, to, you know, to, to, to uh, take a shower and, and somehow I was, you know, working during the shower. You're thinking about it all the time. Right, right. When you're at his age, he's not there. He's not hungry anymore like that. But when you're hungry, you, you, you expend your capacity. He's not willing to do that, but your capacity is your capacity, whatever that right, is. Right, right. If you're gonna, if you're at capacity, you can't grow. Maybe you can't afford to hire people. Right. And the only thing you can do is infrastructure. Is is technology well, the, infrastructure. The, the other thing for really small businesses is that's time consuming and difficult is finding new clients. And if you could, that's another place where you can really apply technology today. Sure. In a way that you couldn't even five or ten years ago. Right. So maybe he needs to do that too. Like you know, take like, some money and invest in, you know, digital inbound, you know, type of advertising right. or you know, client acquisition, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. You know, that where he's got more lead generation. Software yeah, because you know when you know that, especially for a one man band. I mean, you're, 
okay, my, 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 my wife's sister and her husband have a business. It's just the two of them, you know, they do video production, right? They're really good. They do stuff for like, you know, TV stations and stuff like that, but they're in this constant kind of feast or famine cycle right. where they're working so that I'm so trying to find really... the next client and uh, they're always like you know they're always in that cycle right. so and they can't split responsibilities because those two of them yeah they they kind of do but they but, but when they've got a big shoot it's right. it's them plus you know they sometimes they hire people to help right. them you know and so and she does a lot of the editing so as a consultant I go to when they have a big shoot they should be hiring a very inexpensive person as an assistant to free up yeah I'm going to say her time just arbitrarily so she can continue the process of marketing and generating the pipeline yeah she shouldn't be taking that she shouldn't be she's working too cheap at that point right right well in the in the case of those two people she's the artistic core of the business and he actually does most of the client acquisition. okay well i, I, I flipped flip the roles but yeah, I mean, yeah the yeah, point I mean, is the yeah, same when you're yeah points well taken yeah yeah, yeah exactly that's where exactly. my consulting head goes is don't right. ever take him off of client acquisition right <laughs> don't ever you know <laughs> Right, you know, <laughs> right, because she could always bring in somebody to help with, yeah, you know, it's, uh, lugging stuff into the site. Like right? he's the camera operator. Yeah, like he can find camera operators really cheap. Yeah, no offense to copper, co- co- camera operators out there, but no, not at all. Because there's diff- there's a huge difference in quality. Sure, but you can still find them, and they work on contract. Right. So yeah, he should instead of spending a day on a shoot where he's doing, you know, a couple hours work, you know, he should spend that whole day. You know, finding clients. We've talked about it. Seems like low hanging fruit solutions to me on that one. Yeah. But that's the thing, you know, just or using technology to, you know, to invest in a really good digital inbound house, advertising, you know, digital marketing house that can really bring in those clients. That that's also a cheap, you know, when you look at the actual cost of client acquisition. And then to your point about the clients, like every time I I wanted to say, you know, like the, the higher, the higher cost clients that use up more of your time and you make less money on them every time i've ever analyzed you know the the a a base of clients it's always that 80 20 rule where Mm. you've got these incredibly great clients that produce an enormous amount of your profit and they're the easiest ones to work with sure and then you've got the noisy difficult clients that are always trying to grind you on price and make your life hell because they don't they're not good customers, right. and, you know. Right. And so, you know, doing that equation and figuring out who you really need to say goodbye to. And I fire. think that's critical, especially as, for as one critical as you grow, yeah. critical yeah. as you're growing, no yeah. question about it. Or that's why you know law practices bring on associates so they could give those <laughs> clients to them and they could work on rainmaking and so on. Right. Right. So um, I want to thank you again. I want to give you one last chance to give your uh, your contact information now, just because I really want to encourage people to, to reach out to you. Oh, that's so kind. So please, one more time, and then I'm going to talk about how to be on Small BizCast. I want to tell you about next our next show, who's going to be on, and uh, say goodbye. So okay, goodbye. well, thank you. I'll just spell my email address. <laughs> it's R-O-L-A-N-D dot Crane, C-R-A-N-E, at Vistage, V-I-S-T-A-G-E, chair, C-H-A-I-R, one word, dot com. Gotcha. Thanks, Joel. Thank you very much, Roland. Really appreciate it. Was it was a complete terrific. pleasure. It's a, you know, this is our first podcast, and I'm really glad that you're you're part of it. And uh, as as there, as new small business problems come up, I'm going to hopefully call upon you to be on our one of our posse to do that. Sounds like fun. Okay. You can reach us at smallbizcast.com, business spelled B-I-Z, so smallbizcast.com. On there, you can see what our schedule is. You can see who our next guests are. You can get the profile of people like Roland, get them directly so you can reach them directly. And 
You can give us your comments and your suggestions for being better. And you can apply to be on the show. And you can reach me for anything consulting. And I want to remind you that Mercury Document Imaging is our sponsor, and I appreciate it very much. And this has been a great pleasure. Thank you very much, Roland. This is us shaking hands and saying goodbye. Thanks, Joel. You're the real deal. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Small BizCast. You can follow us by giving us a like on our Facebook page at Small BizCast. Or you can follow us on Instagram at Small BizCast. If you have business questions or are thinking about sponsoring our show, check out our website at www.smallbizcast.com. Once again, thank you. Our next edition of Small BizCast features Michael Weintraub of AfterRetail.com. Here's a sneak peek of our conversation. You know, growth never comes any other way. It's always when you're nervous. You think? I know it. That's interesting. You know, if you if you move toward the uncomfortable, you're bound to grow. I like it. <laughs>